Yo, yo, what's up? It's Raphael with NBA Draft Junkies, and I'm back again. I got part two with my man Spencer Weber. And if you missed the first one, check it out. It's on the, the YouTube. It's on the YouTube channel. You can see um picks one through fourteen where he had. And the the biggest shocker, I guess, was he had Obi Toppin number three. You can look at the comments um on the on that video. There are some people who agree and some who disagree, but that's what the purpose of this platform is for. But anyway, what's up, Spencer? How's it going? Everything is good. How about yourself, Raphael? Just been uh you know, watching the Heat game and enjoying my boys go out there and get us some big wins, big come-behind wins. Yeah, everything is good. Just been just been busy trying to, you know, get all these interviews done and, and update the site. And, you know, I guess this is like the busy season for, for draft. It's normally, you know, back in May and June, but it's yeah. a little busy now. I got extended time and I have a couple of things that I want to get done. So, all right, let's get into it. Number 15, you have Patrick Williams going to Orlando. Why do you think he's a good fit there? Um, more than I think he's a good fit in Orlando, Pat Williams. I think Orlando loves these kind of prospects. I think they love guys that have a crazy good potential. Um, he's got an unbelievable frame coming out, really young kid. Um, just versatility is my big thing with him. You know, he's actually an underrated, like, pull-up mid-range shooter. His shooting is nothing crazy good. Like when he played in the high school circuits and stuff, he was actually a better three-point shooter. So there's definitely some uh, potential there. Plus he shot 84% from the free throw line. So whenever you see like such a high number in the mid 80s to 90s for a free throw shooter, definitely makes you feel like they could develop in a, a good perimeter shooter. All right. So based off their roster, um, do you – if they keep, well, I guess Isaac is not supposed to play next year. And then if they still have Gordon on the roster, do you think that that he's he's somewhat redundant com compared to the guys that they already have? Um, I think he's such a project that it's not like he's going to be inserted right away anyways. Mm -hmm. I think he's got so much development to do. He's very raw. Um, so I, I don't really see a problem there with fit. You know, I think they got to figure out a lot pe a lot of pieces and so then they got to take a best available on board. If you're thinking more, they need to take a point guard. I could definitely see that from that perspective. You know, they got Fultz, they got Mark uh, Carter-Williams, and um, they got DJ Augustine probably. None of those three guys are their franchise point guard. Um, I just think at this pick, there's not going to be a point guard available for them that they're going to want to take at that pick. Okay. All right, now let's move on to number 16. I'm a Blazers fan, so, you know, I may be a little critical <laughs> for for this pick. Uh, so who do you have at, at 16? Tyrese Maxey, Kentucky player. Um, touch is a big thing for me with guys coming in the draft. I think he's got incredible he touch. It. He definitely Yeah, he's it. got incredible touch. He's an incredible free throw shooter. Um, and he ranked in the 93 percentile in pick and roll according to Synergy. Um, the NBA is composed of so much pick and roll. I think it's vital that you have those secondary playmakers, ball handlers, like Tyrese Maxey in your roster. He's definitely not a primary uh, ball handler. Um, but I think he's comparable to Donovan Mitchell in the aspect of coming out. He's a bit of an undersized guard. Um, Donovan Mitchell is very different from him in the aspect that Donovan Mitchell is a high riser. Maxey's not. Mm -hmm. He's uh, very grounded in his game. But he makes up for that with his touch and finishing around the rim. He, he, he's, got a, he's got a solid frame for his size. And he does a good job of probing in the pain and usually making a good decision with the ball. 
his perimeter shooting is definitely my biggest concern. Um, but his free throw shooting gives me hope that he can find some consistency and confidence from deep. Yeah, his three-point shooting and the shooting numbers overall were somewhat of a disappointment for me. I thought he'd um, end up – I projected he would shoot a lot better than what he did, but the touch is there. I mean, you know, the high finishes off the glass, the floaters, the free throw percentage. Um, I've I've watched him work out live. I want to say it was a couple times last summer. And I wonder if his three-point shooting – was a little lower because he has such a low release on the shot. I wonder if that had any impact or effect on it. Um, I did have those concerns about Trey Young also, but Trey Young shoots from so far out that I think it helps him. But Trey Young's release is super quick and he's able to get it off with, you know, a hand in his face or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I have the same concerns about, you know, I'm saying like the outside shooting. I do think he could end up being one of the Kentucky guys that ends up becoming a better pro than college player. I mean, if you look Murray, at Murray, maybe or Booker. Murray Booker. I mean, you can even say Cat. Even though Cat was the number one pick, he's arguably the best shooting big of all time. But we didn't see that at Kentucky. Bam is another guy. I didn't. I didn't see the playmaking skills that he has shown today at Kentucky. Um, Gilgis Alexander was someone who kind of came on late in his freshman year. So Maxie could fall into that category of guys that um, didn't get a chance to really show off their full skill set at Kentucky because they had so much talent around them. And if that's the case, then that's a win for Portland. I, I wonder, is he too similar to Anthony Simons in a sense? I mean, yeah, it I depends if, if you consider Simons like a more of a combo guard than a one and same with Tyrese. Is he a combo or one? I think Tyrese, I think his ceiling may be like a Drew Holiday type, which would be good. I mean, Drew's an all-star. Drew's, you know, he's going to have a long career. He's going to make a lot of money. Um, but I think that could be his ceiling. Some want to compare him to like a Lou Williams type. Um, yeah, it's uh, – I mean, only time will tell, but that's that's not a bad pick for Portland. Sorry, I think ahead. one more thing, yeah, I want to add about him is that um, I think he's a plus defender. He definitely um, is. That's that's why I, I gave the holiday comparison, just because of the, the defense right. and the his strength, and you know he's able. I think he should be able to defend both guard spots. Yeah, he has very active hands, and plus, like I think if you look at the personnel on Kentucky, um, they didn't have any spot up shooters. Um, Johnny Juzang, uh, Montgomery. Hagen's quickly. None of them were spot up shooters. So I think the the pace and space mold of the NBA and having guys that can spot up can benefit his playmaking a lot. Yeah. Even though quickly was a hell of a shooter. He, he was, but he was doing the creating a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, number 17, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Pokusevsky here. We're going Poku. Um, the wild card of the draft. I think that, um, when you got a guy that's seven foot that can uh, dribble, shoot, pass um, with as much fluidity as he has, um, I think you have to take a chance on him. Um, the biggest concerns, like for everyone, I'm no different, is he's pencil thin. Um, and he's like, he reminds me of his, his natural position is more of a wing. Um, mm -hmm. And he, he kind of reminds me of he's a little bit out of control with his flashy passing, like Ginobili. 
know, he likes to take that sling pass from the side and he gets caught up in the air a lot when he gets in the lane and he makes kind of tries to force it or he'll jump up and you'll see a guy down low that's open and he'll try to throw it in there. And I think that um, he's going to take a lot of time to develop, but I think he's got a great feel for the game and he's worth the pick for the T-Wolves. Yeah, I mean, like you say, wild card of the draft. Um, I've mentioned on previous podcasts, I've had an opportunity to see him live. And the full skill set and talent is there. Just watching him live, watching him move. He should be able to defend multiple positions. He's, I mean, he, he just has such a unique skill set that you can't, you can't teach and you can't really find anywhere. But my questions for him is toughness and... Yeah, just just his overall toughness. And, you know, the biggest disappointment for me was when I went to that tournament last summer and watched him play, after he had, like, the big game that kind of put him on the map with the triple-double, I kind of followed him. And the game against Germany, he started off 0 for 5. And I want to say in his first six minutes of that game, he missed five shots. And he was in a a matchup with uh, a guy that's projected to go high in next year's draft. And he just never got back in the game. Like, there was no injury. There was no ice on his shoulder, knee, ankle. He was on the bench. He seemed okay. I think he did, like, halftime warm-ups, didn't play, and then he didn't play the next game. And I don't know, like, it was just so weird to me. What's that? You think it's mental toughness? I don't know. I mean, you know, know, he's so young. He's only 18 years old. So it's – you know, you don't want to nitpick. But for me, that was kind of weird that he didn't, like – like I said, I didn't see any injuries, and he just didn't come back in that game, and he didn't play the next game. I don't know if he shut it down. He got a call from up top to shut it down. To, I don't know. It was just really weird. Like, And um, I, I thought he was fine. So on my notes, I just had the question, like, you know, what's going on here? I don't know. And so then I also wonder – that because he's so young and he's he's so thin right now, how how patient is a team going to be? I know they'll say they'll be patient, but if you put him in the G League today, like let's say the season started on time, which we know it's not, but let's say it started on time in November, you drafted him and you put him in a G League game today, how would he fare against the G League competition? I think he would be able to show how talented he is but I think he'd struggle big time because those guys are hungry. They're stronger. I mean, the G league is full of uh, outside of that G league select team, whatever, but the G league is full of four year college players. And I wonder how would he fare in that situation? But with saying all that, I would still take the risk just because you don't, you know, you're not going to find such a wild card like that with, with the talent that he possesses. So yeah, I would definitely take the risk if I were Minnesota. Even some teams like picking higher, maybe even like Boston at 14, I think it may be worth the risk. Yeah, I think I think he's got a lot of similarities to uh, Bull Bull without the uh, medical concerns. That's yeah. why I could kind of see him going up that high. Yeah, which is weird because even though Bull Bull had medical concerns, I wonder why did his stock fall that far? I mean, we've seen other guys with bad medical I mean, like Porter Porter Jr. fell, but he still went in the lottery. But was Bo Bowles that bad that he that I don't know how many teams passed him? Like almost every team, I don't know which team didn't have a pick, but some teams passed on him multiple times. 
And even then, he still didn't play this season until until we started back up in, in the bubble. So he missed over a full calendar year. So his medical had to either have been really bad or there was some other intel that was going on to make him fall that far. Definitely. All right, moving down to number 18, you have the Dallas Mavericks. I actually like this pick. Yeah, so I got Dallas taking Jalen Smith from Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give it a little overview of how I feel about Jalen. Um, you know, he's a he's a prototypical big in this NBA. You know, he he he's a rebounder, he's a shot blocker from the weak side. He's a rim runner, and the biggest plus right now in the NBA, he has the ability to stretch the floor. He showed it this year in his sophomore season at Maryland. Um, I got his numbers right here. Shot seventy five percent from the charity stripe. That was 10% increase from his freshman season. And he shot 36.8% from three this year. So I think that really raises his stock quite a bit from what he was coming into his sophomore season. Um, And I think more than a lot of players in this draft, I think he's a plug and play kind of guy, immediate impact. Um, He definitely has some concerns in terms of feel for the game and defensive positioning. And um, he's a bit of a turnover machine when he gets the ball. But I don't think he should be in a situation where he's going to be giving the ball much. I think he'd be allowed to be catch and shoot and rim running opportunities. So I, I think it would be a great fit in Dallas. Um, I don't think Kleber there is exactly what they're looking for. And I don't think Dwight Powell is either. I think this guy's more of a rebounder and rim protector. Yeah, I mean, I think that he could be similar to Kleber in a sense because Kleber's a very good shot blocker. I know a lot of people – we're challenging him because I had Mavs um, media pass for last season, not the season that just completed, but last season. And I, you know, I, I didn't see it. I thought, honestly thought, and I'll be honest, I thought, oh man, they're giving him special treatment because he's German and he's from Dirk's hometown. And a lot of people were challenging him at the rim and he was sending it back. I mean, he's a respectable shooter. He, he I mean, he struggled in the playoffs. But I think that he's a good fit for that system because he can somewhat space the floor and then also protect the paint, which makes your Jalen Smith pick even more realistic in a sense because I never thought about that fit for Dallas. And it, it makes a lot of sense. I know that their offense opened up to this the historical numbers that they put up once Powell went down and they played yep. um, Porzingis at the five. And um, so, yeah, they may be looking to add another big that can rebound and block shots and then shoot. And one of the things I like about Smith is that he can shoot off movement. Like you can run, you know, like pin downs or, or, you know, action plays to get him open. Yeah, as opposed to some bigs can only, you know, they're just spot-up shooters. So I think he would be someone that Dallas could um, definitely develop and he would fit right in their system. I just – I don't know why I never saw that that fit for him. I actually had him going to 19 at, at Brooklyn. But the more that I think about it, I think the best fit for him – and it may be somewhat of a reach, but I think the best, best fit for him is the Pelicans. Even though they already have Jackson Hayes, I think Zion needs to be with a, a – I think he needs to – if he's going to, you know, operate in the post – I don't think it's good for him to share a front court with another big that doesn't space the floor because that's just kind of getting his way. So I was thinking, like, what kind of big would be able to rebound, block shots, play interior defense, but also 
knock down open shots. And Jalen Smith fills all of those of those categories. And I was even thinking of current bigs in the NBA that could fill that role. And I thought maybe like Serge Ibaka would be somebody that they could look for in mm-hmm. free agency. But I don't know if they would take Jalen at in the lottery. But I think like fit-wise, he makes sense. And I think that he could be their starting center, even though a lot of people don't think he's a center. They think he's more of a four. I think he can play the five in a pinch, but I think that him and Zion will be a good backcourt. I mean, I'm sorry, good frontcourt. All right, let's move on to number 19, where I actually had Jalen Smith going because I felt like that's one of the things that Brooklyn doesn't really have is another big that can stretch the floor. Um, I know Jared Allen was trying it a couple years ago, and it, it just hasn't worked out he hasn't developed you know DeAndre is definitely not gonna be shooting threes and I felt like with the team that they have next year based off what we know today that is like the one thing that they're missing is a a big that can stretch the floor but I wouldn't be shocked to see KD play some minutes at the at the five the way this NBA is going I mean we just saw OG Ananobly (laughs) play the five at six seven six eight so who do you have the the Nets taken at 19? Um, Isaiah Stewart from the University of Washington. And I think that this shows that I agree with you that Brooklyn is eyeing a big. Um, I don't necessarily think that they need a shooter as a big because I think they got a lot of shooters on roster. Um, I think it would be nice. It would be a nice compliment. But um, at this pick, we just had Jalen Smith go before in my draft. So Isaiah Stewart I have is the best next option for them. 6'9 um, with a 7'4 wingspan. His athletic ability, his ability to run the floor, and his overall just nastiness, aggressiveness, crashing the boards, and his motor is just, I think it's hard to pass on at that pick if you're Brooklyn. Um, He's really young, and I think this gives him opportunity to get a lot of experience because Brooklyn is no doubt going to make a run in the East next year. Um, I think he'll have time to develop his offensive game, maybe not right away with KD and Kyrie chunking up a lot of minutes, but I think he'll have an immediate impact um, on the offensive end and defensive end. I think at Washington and the Pac-12 in general, the court is so clustered that we didn't get to see a lot of Isaiah Stewart's athletic ability. Um, I think he has the ability to catch the ball short corner, high post, and actually create some offense for himself, not just stuff in transition and setting good screens and rolling hard. I agree. And you know what? I feel like if he was born in 1981 – Instead of 2001, Top five. he's the number one pick. <laughs> you know, it's the game has changed so much that a guy like him who would have been a top five pick, top 10 at the latest in most drafts, you know, from the 80s, 70s, whatever, 90s, is now someone that could, in some cases, a lot of people don't even have him as a first round pick or, or late first round. It just shows how much the game has changed. I, I agree with everything you said. The thing that I like the most about him is that the nastiness and the motor. Like, he – the way he transitions from defense to offense, like, he'll get the rebound, he'll give it to a guard, and then he'll sprint the middle of the floor. And yep. he's just so active. I mean, the motor just doesn't stop running. I think that for, like, a, a championship – contender or you know a team that's going to be really good I think he's going to be a good a good piece because the way he's projected to go he's going to end up going to more than likely a playoff team and so I think that he should be able to carve out 
minutes in his uh, rookie season just off of energy and, and hustle. And then once the skill set develops a little bit from there, I think that he could end up being a steal for somebody in the in the first in the first round. It's just but the game just keeps changing so much. It's like, can you defend in space? You know, that's that's like one of the big questions. I mean, if you look at you know the Eastern Conference Finals, six nine and six eight, those are the two starting centers for for Boston and Miami. And then you look out west. The Lakers are are big, but even when they go quote unquote small, they still have Anthony Davis at the five, which I think is a natural position. Denver obviously plays a traditional big, but yeah, the game is just so it's, it's just so different now. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the center is, I mean, I guess you can say it's devalued, but I guess like big traditional centers are kind of like out of style, and so. Stewart is, in my opinion, a traditional center. He kind of reminds me of Elton Brand. Yeah. He may not be as skilled as Brand was at the same state because I think Brand was a, a better shooter, it's like from the short corner and the elbows. But just as far as like Brand was somewhat undersized, but he had a long wingspan. Yep. And, I mean, Elton Brand had a very, very good first five-year run. I want to say he was close to – 20 and 10 maybe his first five years now if you can get that type of production out of Isaiah Stewart then you definitely unbelievable uh, pick yeah you got great value out of that pick all right let's move down to uh to number 20 Miami Heat yeah so I'm taking a player that maybe not a lot of people know about they heard the name but Paul Reed out at DePaul Mm -hmm. um to start I'm a huge Heat fan I got my culture shirt on and um Paul Reed is my favorite player in this draft so maybe that's a little uh, homer of me to put him on the Heat but he, he was to start, you know, he's a, he's an athlete that plays the big man position. Right. Um, he's an athlete first more than anything. He could play the wing if he had any offensive game whatsoever, but he doesn't as of yet. Um, Paul Reed, immediate impact on the heat is going to be a lot of what Bam does. He's going to get out in transition. He's going to run. He's going to rebound. Um, he's long. He's agile. Uh, he's a vertical lob threat. Um, and another thing is that I, that I know I mentioned in the first part is I love these late growth spurt guys like Bam. He was mm-hmm. 6'5", coming out of Apopka, Florida, um, playing the two and the three. And he has a little bit of ball skills, and he's got a little bit of playmaking. Yep. Um, so I'm really interested to see if he's on the board, if the Heat are going to pass on him, because I don't think they will. Yeah, I mean, Florida boy playing in Florida. So my question for you is, what do you think about his shooting? Like the three-point shooting numbers – have been up, down. So his uh, first year, it was like 21%. Then the next year, it jumped to 40%, but not a great volume. And then this year, it's at around, I think, like maybe 32 or 31% from three. So what do you think about his long-term projections as a shooter? Because I think that's where um, – and I think you know you're, you're going to get from him defense, energy, Yada, yada, yada. But I think that his outside shooting will determine his ceiling. So where do you think that his outside shooting projects to be? Um, I think he's going to be a guy that if left open, you know, on the Heat roster, they're going to encourage him to shoot it. And I think on a team like the Heat where they're encouraging him to shoot it, they got a good development staff um, to maybe rework that form from the ground up. I, I think he could be a 35 to 38% three-point shooter. Um, and I think that's all the heat I want out of him. 
because he he really does have all NBA defend defensive potential. Um, so you pair that with a guy shooting 35, 38%, doing what he does, impacting winning and so many different ways than shooting. I think that that's all you need. Okay. All right. So the next pick is we're at number 21. So a lot of people are going to like this pick because he's one of fan favorites. Grant Riller. Um, Buckets. Paul, yeah. Um, <laughs> Charleston. Um, I saw him play UCF um, as a manager there. And he, the one thing that impressed me just off the bat before I get into anything else is he, he does a great job of creating contact against bigs. Um, he went, he went right at our bigs, um, right to their chest, and he's able to finish with either hand. He's very acrobatic around the rim. And what people love the most about him, three-level score, um, his mid-range is very reminiscent of, not going to say it's as productive as, but Allen Iverson, you know, his ability to rise up. He's got a crazy package of pull-up mid-range. You don't know if he's going. You don't know if he's going to the rim. You don't know if he's going to create contact and then bounce off you and swing it. So, I'm just really impressed with his game. Um, he didn't play the greatest competition, but when he did, he still produced what he was producing against the worst competition. So his numbers are there, his shoot numbers are there. His age is a little bit of a concern in the NBA draft, but I think at the same time, it's a plus. You know, he's got experience. He could come and he could produce right away. He could mm -hmm. create scoring. Defensively, I'm a little worried about him. Um, as good as he is with the ball and crafty with the ball, He's not as engaged defensively. And that's not to say he's not a good athlete or not quick enough. I just don't think he's very concerned with his defense. And I think that'll change in the NBA. He'll have to prove himself to a team. Um, but I think that he can get a little bit bullied at times, like we've seen out of Kemba Walker on Boston. I know he's a little bit bigger than Kemba, but they've gone right at the smaller guards like him and Lou Will in the playoffs. I agree with everything you said. Like the mid-range – and it's not like your simple mid-range pull-up. It's mid-range pull-up, fade into the left, fade into the right. It's, I mean, the best way for me to describe him is he's a shot maker. Yep. You know, he's like, he's a professional scorer. I mean, he scores on three levels. I, I, I was late to the Grand Ruler party. I mean, I watched him a little bit. I, I liked him. But the more and more I watched his film, I'm like, yo, this guy is, he fills it up. I love how... He attacks the basket, just the craftiness around the rim, the, the, the touch around the basket, um, the burst, like the handle. I mean, he yep. gets to his spots with his handle. Not many guys can stay in front of him. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's just a shot maker. He's a guy that at the end of the shot clock, I feel like he can, he can get to where he wants to go. Um, maybe a Van Vliet type in a sense. As far as like, I mean, I thought Van Vliet was a good scorer at Wichita State, but I didn't think he would be what he is today. Like he is, right. he's, he, he has that toughness to him, but then like he has the, the handle, he gets to where he needs to go. And he, I mean, he's a good shooter. So I like Riller. My, my biggest concern for him is fit. You know, that's, that's the biggest thing because there's a lot of guys that, or high-level scores in college that um, have NBA talent, but it's all about fitting. And I, I wonder how, how he's going to fit. So, like, for example, is even though he's a little smaller, Marcus Keene was unreal in college. 
but no NBA team is going to give him the freedom that he had at what do you go Central Michigan. So mm-hmm. he's playing overseas. Another guy who I felt was a big time scorer in college who was tough to stop on the college level, but he wasn't. Um, I mean, he, I guess he wasn't a passer. I mean, not not the passer really is, but it was uh, Marcus Foster out of Creighton. Mm-hmm. He was a tough scorer, but I don't know if he can play like a real complimentary role in the NBA. So he's, I mean, I think right now he's playing in, in Greece. I think he's playing at Panathinaikos. And then I was in China the past, basically the past two seasons. And every guard in China is a bucket, like a high level scorer. And in my opinion, the reason they're in China as opposed to the NBA is because they're not necessarily complementary pieces to stars. So like if you play with the Lakers, you're not going to get freedom with the ball. Your job is to knock down shots. If you play with Houston, the same thing, um, unless you're better than the, the creators that they have. And so a lot of times these guys that are big time college scorers and, you know, very creative on the offensive end, they may be so good at it that they struggle with the NBA fit and then they end up playing overseas where they're actually allowed to play the way that they've they're accustomed to playing so I think for Riller I mean I think there is I think he could be an NBA starter but I also think that he's best suited for a six-man type role a guy that comes in off the bench and he runs your second unit and he gets buckets and then I think I see him as a closer in the with the starting five I'm sorry, in the, in the closing lineup. But I, I also wouldn't be shocked if, let's say, um, he falls to like a second-round pick, right? And if he falls to a second-round pick then and he doesn't end up with a, a guaranteed deal for the next season, I can see a team in China saying, hey, we'll give you $300,000 a month, seven-month season. We'll pay the taxes. Right. And your job is to come out here and score 35 points per game. Now he has a decision to make. Do I want to stay in the NBA? And, you know, if he's in that situation, that means he's probably not playing a lot in the NBA. And then he has to decide, do I want to fight for a roster spot in the NBA and and do a training camp? Or do I take this guaranteed money and I'm going to get a chance to play the way that I've always known how to play, be dominant first option. So, that is my fear with him. Either way, I think he's in a really, really good position. But I like him. I thought that um, Dallas could use another creative score off the bench. I think that Philly, like where you have him going, could could use a another ball handler or somebody that can get a bucket when they need one. I think Milwaukee. I mean, I think there's a few teams. Utah that he could fit in is just a matter of, is he a good enough playmaker to, to be able to, you know, find a fit. Cause I think in today's NBA, unless you're, if you're going to be like a volume score, you have to be somewhat of a playmaker. If not, it's going to be tough for you to find a spot, which look at, uh, what's the kid? Um, kid out of Kansas. Uh, no, no, no. From a couple of years ago. I can't think of Malik. I can't think of his last name right now. Oh, um, um, yeah, yeah, I know. The buzz cut, two guard. Um, Damn, why can't I think of his name? 
Malik Newman. Malik Newman. He can score. He's a one-on-one score. He can get you buckets. But I think the reason why he never really got a fair NBA shot is because he's not an efficient scorer and he's not a playmaker. Yep. So I agree. All right. So let's go to 22 Western Conference Finals, Denver. What do you think they need? Um, I think they could actually use quite a bit for being in the Western Conference Finals um, because they have so many positionless players. Um, that's why I kind of made this pick, take Tyler Bay from Colorado, because in the current NBA landscape, you can't have enough forwards, you can't have enough guys that are between the size of 6'5 and 6'9. Um, Tyler Bay is such an interesting prospect to me um, because at Colorado, his game – was all from the rim to the free throw line. You know, he was so much in the post that I don't know what's going to translate to the league. But what I do know is that he's an elite athlete, um, Tyler Bay, and that he plays really hard, sometimes to a fault, sometimes a little out of control with the ball in the post, and he's got quite a few turnovers. But I think that at his size, if he could develop a jump shot and just carry over what he did from college, which is – rebounding the ball aggressively, defending well, and just running the floor and being an elite athlete, I think he could carve out a lot of minutes in the NBA. Yeah, I think he's a poor, poor man, Sean Marion. I see some similarities. There's only one Sean. And, I mean, if he can be half as productive as as Sean Marion and develop as a shooter like Marion did, I think that he could be a valuable piece on the team because I see him as a guy that you don't have to run plays for, he can change right. the game with his energy. He can defend multiple positions. You know, he may be able to, best case scenario in a season, have 100 steals, 100 blocks, and 100 threes. And I think that, yeah, he's he's someone I would love to have on my team, especially yep. in today's NBA. I think that he should be able to, in a pinch, defend all over the floor. I but think I his think- floor is like Jamario Moon. I feel okay. like he's got a lot of Jamario Moon in him. I can see that. Is he as big as Jamario? I think, I think Jamario is about 6'9". Yeah, I think Jamario. I used to work, shows how old I am. I used to work for the Fort Worth Flyers. It was the G League team. And this was like, this was so long ago when the guys on the team that year, like Lou Williams played that year. J.J. Barea, they were like rookies. And Jamario Moon was on the team. And then um, he ended up catching his big break with LeBron, I want to say maybe like 2008, 2009-ish or something like that. But, yeah, I used to uh, see him all the time at practice. All right, Utah. Sorry, this guy that you have for Utah is um, I'm on on his bandwagon. (laughs) I'm a big big Precious Achua fan. It gets me into quite a few debates. Mm -hmm. I think that – um, he he has a, a toolbox that I feel like the right team can develop. I do think he has big bust potential also. Um, but I would gamble. He would be my guy that I'm swinging for the fences on, and I would gamble taking him. I, I'd take him in the late lottery. But why do you think Precious would be a good fit for Utah? Um, piggybacking on what you said, um, he's a terrific athlete. And he's got a ton of upside, you know, coming out of high school, five-star, five, four-star, and then going into Memphis. Um, I, this year for me was a huge disappointment 
because I think it flashed a lot of concerns. Um, Luka Doncic kind of showed the NBA fans and scouts that feel for the game is maybe more important than anything. And I think Precious has a terrible feel for the game. I think that he wanders a lot. I think that I don't remember the exact numbers. I didn't write them down, but he had like way more turnovers than he had assists. Um, it was brutal. Um, and that's my biggest concern for him, but why I think he's going to be a good fit in Utah if he doesn't turn out to be someone who just can't figure it out is because he isn't a very aggressive player. He's, he's very similar to Isaiah Stewart that we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. um, in the right system, um, he can have a huge impact on a team. I think Gobert is maybe oversized for the current NBA landscape. I think that he could get weeded out in the next couple of years. Um, and I think that it's a good opportunity for Precious to kind of be that small ball center that they need. Um, Tony Bradley is not the, the guy for them. He's too much like Gobert. Um, and Precious has the potential to stretch the floor. I feel like we say that with every guy. But um, the reason I say it for Precious is, is his numbers were pretty putrid, but his, his base, and if they could just work out his shot selection a little bit, I feel like he could be just, you know, an average three-point shooter, but a decent one enough where he can get on the floor and get minutes in this current NBA. Yeah, see, I could talk about Precious all day. I may even have to dedicate an episode of what I like about him and also the red flags. So, yeah, he had 57 more turnovers than assists, which is pretty tough. Um, if you look at the free throw percentage, he was bad. Uh, 59% from the free throw line, like 32% from three. And for some reason, I still feel like there's hope <laughs> in his shooting. I, um, I think that he, he's best used going forward as a five. Me too. And what I like about him is his just overall skill set. I just feel like it can be hopefully it can be crafted into something. I think his feel for the game is bad. I think his basketball IQ is low. For whatever reasons, he got a lot of his shots blocked at the rim. I can't figure out why. Um, but I think that you can turn him into a weapon. I think that he could be a guy that could eventually be like a grab-and-go guy. He can get the rebound. He can push it up court. Maybe make a you know, a decent play for somebody in transition. I think he could be your, your lob threat. Um, Energy-wise, you know that's what you're going to get out of him. He's going to bring the energy. I think he has the potential, if he can develop his shooting, to be a straight-line driver. Um, when I watched him in high school, I, I thought that he was a 3-4, <laughs> but now I think he's a 4-5. Um, I didn't see as much of the – how can I say this? So when I saw his film in high school, I felt like he was your – your typical New Yorker. Like he wanted to be a ball handler. He was dribbling the ball a lot. He was trying to show his handles. But in the high school level, he was attacking guys, you know, from the wing and getting to the basket. I didn't really see a lot of that in in college, but I think that he's a good enough ball handler where he would handle the ball better than most fives at that position. I think he can somewhat attack a closeout. The problem is He's going to be out of control with it. You know, he's going to pick up a lot of charges. But 
overall, I think the skill set is there. Like you get him a really good developmental team. And if he's the type of player that's going to watch a lot of film, I think that you can turn him into something. My best case scenario is this athletic five that can, if he can just shoot 30% from three, 30% to where, you know, he knocks a couple down and then if he brings a big outside of the paint, then he can tack on straight line drives and occasionally make a pass or make a play for others. I think he shows potential to do all of that. But I also see that he could be someone who's out of the league fast in a sense, because he, if he doesn't, I mean, I guess Thomas Robinson would be an example. I think Thomas Robinson and Tristan Thompson, I don't think there's that much of a difference between them talent-wise. In my opinion, the difference between those two is Tristan understood, I'm going to make my money as a rebounder, a hustle guy that can move my feet. I think Thomas Robinson wanted to show that he can shoot threes. He wanted to show that he can handle the ball. He wanted to show, which is weird because you want guys to work on their stuff. You want guys to improve their skill set. But for whatever reasons, it just didn't work out for him. And I think, well, one, his hands were kind of bad, but I don't think he understood his role. I think if he decided I'm just going to be a rebound hustle guy, I think he could have made a lot of money, at least 10 to $15 million a year for a good five or six years. If Marquise Chris could make it, he could have definitely made it. Yeah. But, I mean, even with Chris, I think he was – I mean, how many times did he bounce around? What, he, Three, Phoenix? What was it? Phoenix, Houston, Cleveland. And, and in the Golden State situation, he benefited from all of those guys being hurt, and they had a chance to develop him. Um, but he's someone else that, you know, I think next year is is – the big year for him. It will determine if he sticks or if he ends up being someone that just keeps getting camp deals and kind of bounces around and, you know, yep. kind of ends up overseas where his athleticism is more so of an outlier. Yep. All right. Let's go down to, we are at 24. This is a good, a, a good fit. I actually had him going to Miami, but you have uh, Tyrell Terry going to the Milwaukee Bucks. Pretty, pretty obvious what we know what Tyrell does and what he would provide, but why do you like him for Milwaukee? Um, I just think that, you know, to start, they made a bad decision in Milwaukee front office by letting Brogdon go and signing Bledsoe um, because Bledsoe has not been the perimeter shooter that they've needed at the point guard. They got Chris Middleton um, as really their only ball handler that can shoot. So they need to bring in a guy that can really spread the floor um, if they're serious about keeping Giannis on the roster and winning ball games, they need a, a ball handler that can spread the floor for Giannis when teams are doubling him and sitting in gaps on him on his legs. So I just think it's a no-brainer with Tyrell Terry from Stanford. He's a bit of a, a wild card, so to speak, too, like Poku. But I think uh, shooting tends to translate to the NBA more than anything. So I think it's a safe pick more than a crazy wild card pick. So my question is, in a head-to-head matchup for, let's say they keep Bledsoe, for the backup point guard job, maybe even third if George Hill's on the team, 
Can he beat out Frank Mason? Um, I don't think he could beat out George Hill or Frank Mason, but I think that those guys will almost dig their own grave out of the lineup where Terry's shooting will dig it in. I don't think Terry's better than any of those players in any other aspect besides shooting. And I think that's so vital in this NBA that I think he'll get minutes his first year in the NBA. See, that's what I question with anybody on anybody going to Milwaukee. Can they, can they crack the, the rotation? Because I, I want to say George Hill is one of the best shooters in the NBA this year. Yeah, he, he shot was. 46% from three. A lot of it was spot up though. Yeah. Which that's all you're really going to get <laughs> based off of their yeah. offense. Um, yeah. I just can't see them allowing a rookie to come in and, handle the ball and shoot pull-ups and, and shoot threes in transition. So I think that Terry would have to be a, a, a spot-up shooter. And so my, you know, because I, I think I must have had Nico Mannion at one point going to Milwaukee, and I had to think about it, like, can he beat out Frank Mason? If you made it fair, not based off of the fact that if, you know, Nico or Tyrell or whoever they draft is going to have guaranteed money, but if you just make it fair, like best man wins, Right. Will any of the 19 or 20-year-old point guards that people, myself included, have Milwaukee taken, could they beat out Frank Mason? Yeah. That's, that's the question I have. Yeah. For, for me, though, you know, I, I look at it more from an NBA landscape than individual fit. Like, mm-hmm. you, got, you got to change with times, you know, that the Heat kind of shot Milwaukee out of the gym a lot of games because they're forcing Milwaukee guys like Middleton – that aren't the most athletic players to defend 35 feet away from the basket. Cause they got guys like Duncan Robinson and hero um, against Milwaukee, their offenses besides Middleton taking ISO on the wing, their offense is coming in from 20 feet and in. So I think if Budenholzer wants to win games and they're serious about taking their offense to the next level, I know they were one of the best in the regular season, but postseason teams adjust and yeah. you need more shooters. You can never have enough. I agree. All right, so now Oklahoma City, a team with a million picks going forward. Um, Vernon Carey. So you, do you think Vernon Carey uh, replaces Stephen Adams? Do you think Adams is out of there? Um, I don't think they'll get what they're looking for out of Adams. Um, I think Adams is a really valuable player for OKC, and I think they can live with his contract right now because he's still giving them valuable minutes and still gives the opportunity to develop young guys. Um, and they even have when, to have a big contract. If they get rid of Chris Paul, they're going to need somebody to meet, meet the, yep. uh, the floor. So makes sense. Yep. I think that uh, Vernon Carey is, has slid in too far down draft, draft boards. Not mine, because I think where I have him is pretty fair, 25. I think if you have him anywhere in the second round, it's a little ridiculous because a lot of his concerns – for me and for a lot of scouts, um, is that his motor, um, and maybe you can even argue his shooting, even though I don't think that should be a big concern for a guy in the late 20s that's playing the four and the five for you. Um, I think he's an unbelievable athlete. He comes from a good bloodline. Um, His dad playing offensive tackle for the Dolphins or whatever it was, it was offensive line or defensive line. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it was defensive line. But um, I think that as a lefty, as we've seen in the NBA, um, for whatever reason, they tend to have more success on the offensive end than they did in college. And 
I think pace and space favors a guy with the size of Vernon Carey and the nimbleness and athleticism. Um, my concern with him is what will he be able to do or how many minutes will he be able to carve out if they just can't get him to play hard? And I don't think he's a, a skilled enough player where he can sometimes play hard and sometimes can't, which is why I got guys like Stort, um, Isaiah Stort from Washington and Paul Reed and all those guys above him. I don't think that he's much worse than them in terms of skill. I just don't think he plays as hard. So with all that being said, um, well, if he goes to Oklahoma City, he likely won't be in the playoffs anytime soon. But do you think he's a guy that could – that would be a liability in a playoff situation? Um, maybe. Early in his career, I could definitely see him being a liability. But I think at this pick and this – at 25, I don't think, like you said, you're not planning for guys to contribute in the playoffs, at least not for OKC's sake. Um, you're drafting a lot based on potential. And I think he's got the skill set to, de to develop into a really good player. Okay. Yeah, what do you think about his shooting? Do you think that he will eventually be able to be a, a, a good shooter? Because I know he showed flashes of being able to knock down threes. Do you think that um, he could develop into a consistent shooter? As we know, it's all about reps. You know, how much time he puts in the gym and works on it. I think that his form um, – is just really long and it's way behind his hairline. Um, so he definitely needs to be adjusted, but with anyone in the NBA now, you have no choice but to develop into a good three-point shooter. If he doesn't, he'll be out of the league as well, but I think he does a lot of good things initially that will get him drafted in the late 20s. All right, 26, Boston Celtics. Yeah, so I'm going Ramsey from Tech here. Um, I don't have any really notes on Ramsey. Ramsey for me is more based on just watching the guy play. Um, I think he's so raw. He, he, almost, he almost has a very limited offensive game, yet still manages ways to get buckets. Like, he's, he's, not, a, he's not a very good dribbler getting open, but when he gets the ball, he's, he's tough and he's got a good will and he plays hard. He defends really well. He's a good athlete. And I think more importantly for this pick, 26 Boston, they have so many of those guys. They got smart. They got brown. Um, he could kind of fit right in there and learn from those guys. And I think Boston will do a good job developing him into a player because I think he's actually pretty similar to Jalen Brown. So, yeah, what Ramsey is, I saw him in high school, and the biggest shocker for me was the three-point shooting. And he was efficient on a high volume of shots. And, but it's weird because I still struggle with labeling him as a shooter. Because if you look at the percentages, he shot better than almost everybody outside of, like, Aaron Neesmith. But I still have a hard time, you know, putting him in the box as a shooter. Um, I think the mid-range isn't, isn't there. The free throw shooting makes you wonder which is the real, you know, which is the real him in a sense. Mm -hmm. Is he closer to the shooter that we saw based off his free throw numbers or is it the three-point number? So I uh, was fortunate enough to be able to go watch him work out a couple of times this summer. And his, effort, his release is effortless. Oh, I can't talk. His release, he has an effortless release from three. And, but it's a little different when he's inside the three-point line. 
And yeah. after seeing it up close and, you know, watching him shoot a, a bunch of reps, it kind of made sense as to why the, the free throw and the mid-range numbers weren't as good as the, the, the three-point numbers. But, man, he plays hard. And that's the one thing that, you know, you're going to get out of him is he plays hard. And then he also has, like, a skill set that can be developed. I guess you can say he's somewhat undersized for a two. Yeah. But um, if he goes to Boston, I mean, I think he can learn a lot from Marcus Smart. I see some similarities as just far yeah. as like, I think, well, one, I think they'd have a connection. They're both Dallas guys. Um, yeah. They both play hard. Um, Smart was a, a better defender coming into the NBA than Ramsey, but Ramsey is a, a better shooter than Smart. But I think that, you know, he could learn from from Marcus Smart. And like I said, I think they already have a connection. If I'm not mistaken, they've probably worked out together um, last summer in Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, yeah, I think that would be that would be a good fit. So if, if that – I'm sorry, if Boston takes Ramsey, do you think he's better than Romeo Lankford, who they selected high last year? I think he's different. Um, I think I think with Romeo – um, we haven't seen much of him in the in the regular season or postseason. We've seen short glimpses of his game, but I think what they're trying to do with Romeo is I think they're trying to make him more into a complementary player because they have so many ball handlers. Um, that's why for me it wasn't the best pick, and I think maybe Brad Stevens isn't a huge fan of the pick either. But I think Ramsey is somewhat already more of a complementary player. You know, Romeo was so ball dominant. Or I don't want to go dominant, but, but he's, he, his game is suited to be the number one option. Correct at Indiana, so I, I just think that maybe this is a better player for him. And to your point about Marcus Smart being a similar player to him, I think Ramsey's already more God gifted athletically. So I think that his uh, ceiling as a defender is maybe even higher than Smart. Now that's in a lot, but you know what, Marcus Smart. Like if you watch him like a workout, he is very athletic. It just doesn't always like look like translate that. to how he plays. Like I mean, there's videos out there where he had a like a, I remember it was at University of Texas at Arlington and he was working out with somebody and it turned into an impromptu dunk contest. And he was really yeah, he, he was real bouncy. I mean, um, at state he he had bounce in yeah. college. Like you saw, I, you don't see it as much in the NBA like you're saying. So maybe that is you know. I mean, he's been in the league for a while, so maybe some of his athleticism worn off. Well, he just doesn't just doesn't use it. I have had a friend that he played for the Timberwolves two years ago, and he says Derrick Rose can still do everything he did in Chicago. He really? said, "Yeah." He said, "He just doesn't do it. You'll never see it." He's like, "The bounce is still there if he if he wants to display it." It's crazy. Right. All right. So 27, the New York Knicks, you know, Knicks fans want a point guard and it looks like you got one for them. Yeah. So I, you know, they, they liked um, my earlier one of Kyra Lewis. I saw one guy in the comment section like it, but mm-hmm. I'm actually going back to the well on this one because they, they, you don't want to be, you know, one and done, so to speak. Like, all right, this is our guy. Um, I think that the Knicks are in a position where they could draft a few ball handlers and maybe even sign one in free agency and let them all kind of work their way into their own place, let the dominoes fall where they may. Um, Flynn is probably in the NBA more of a two, you know, very undersized too, mm-hmm. because he's a quick decision maker, 
but he's not the greatest playmaker. Um, so I think that's a good compliment if you could get Kyra Lewis running the floor and you could get Malachi Flynn more coming off screens and be a perimeter shooter. I think that could be a nice little tandem. But just talking about Flynn and the fit there, um, you can't knock you can't knock down Flynn into the second round into this draft, for me at least. Um, his his ability to create his own shot, his aggressiveness, his confidence, they all remind me of Tyler Hero. Now Tyler Hero is six four, um, maybe six five, um, and he's got unbelievable confidence. But unbelievable <laughs> confidence. Yep. But, <laughs> Flynn, Flynn, is, Flynn is a very confident player as well. Um, and he may have even shot a better three-point percentage than Hero in college because Hero wasn't that high. Um, and a good free throw shooter as well, just like Hero. So I'm not comparing him to Hero. I know I'm saying the name a lot. But I just think he's a very confident player. And I think undersized guards in the NBA right now um, that can create their own shot are still proven to be very valuable assets. Which is why I have the Knicks taking Cassius Winston. That's fair. I think that, you know, he's obviously his stock isn't as high because he's more so the finished product in a sense because he's a four-year guy. He doesn't pass the eye test. He's not going to wow you in a workout with, you know, athleticism. Yep. But, but he'll he'll be the next video I, I break down as far as like, um, you know, the player's offensive strengths. But yeah, I, I like I like uh, Cassius Winston at this spot, but Malachi Flynn isn't. You know, it's not. A, I mean, neither one of us can say we're right or we're wrong at this. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of opinion. Um, I do you think that? Do you think that Flynn could crack their rotations based off the guys that they have now? Which you know, based off what you you've got, giving them five point guards. <laughs> I know. I know. So, um, do you think that he could bump Dennis Smith out the rotation, or or how, where do you see him on their depth chart? Well, you know how I feel about Dennis Smith based on the last one. I don't think that he'll be uh, still with the Knicks, or if he is, I don't think he'll be suiting up much. But I oh, think yeah, because you say you think he's closer to being out of the league. Yeah, and someone commented and they broke down his stats from Dallas. He averaged fourteen points a game, and but, and, but they didn't mention his stats from this year. Right. Well, my thing with the Dallas, I felt like I, I honestly feel like Dallas realized once they got him that he wasn't what they thought he was. The team was bad yep. and they probably wanted to move him. I can't imagine him and Carlisle had a great relationship at all. And I just think Dallas was like, you know what, we're going to give you the ball. We're going to let you put up these numbers on Here's this bad stop. team going to build your stock and we're going to sell yep, and it worked do. i mean it worked perfectly you can't yep. <laughs> have executed a better strategy than than that situation because he got his numbers and it put the team in position to get luca and then it was able to get him out of there and swapped him for porzingis and tim hardaway jr i mean that was that was probably one of the most lopsided trades ever yep. Keep an eye out for Kendrick Nunn from the Heat. The Heat are going to try to do the same thing. But they're not playing him. <laughs> they, they're playing him in spurts to keep his stock up when yeah, Dragic needs that knee rest. Yeah, they're not. I mean, he went from starting to, to not playing a lot. I think that was more about preserving Dragic than it was about none. It could be. It definitely could be. All right, 28, Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, so the Lakers, as we know, um, 
are going to be competing for the next, you know, this, this year, next year, and probably the year after that, depending on AD's uh, decision and LeBron's, but more than likely they need a guy um, to kind of fill maybe a little more than the Rondo role. Cause maybe Rondo lost a step defensively. Um, this is more of a safe pick than any one on my board. I feel like for LA, uh, I think they just need a guy who's going to be a good decision maker, um, a really good defender, feisty. I think he's got a lot of similarities to Javon Carter from Phoenix and West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just kind of nasty, man. He picks up like 90 feet, he gets in the grill. He, you know, he's, he's an energy guy, too. If you don't want to start him, which I don't think he probably will right away in L.A. unless he has a great camp. Um, he's a great guy to come off the bench and still facilitate the guys like Kuzma, guys like A.D. when you're giving LeBron a break and really be a good defender. Yeah, it's, I think he's just a good game manager. The shooting is the concern there, which he makes some strides from his freshman and sophomore year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be a solid and safe safe pick for L.A. Um, I wonder would he be able to play minutes with LeBron? Probably not. <laughs> right. All right. So 29. Okay. So this, this is a, in my opinion, the perfect situation for Jaden McDaniels in Toronto. Um, Jaden was the last uh, video that I broke down as far as offensive strengths and areas of improvement in my opinion, he's a top eight talent at the worst. He is super skilled. I mean, the way he moves, there's not a lot of people that can do what he does at his size. But similar to Precious, in a sense, his turnovers outweighed his assist. And I think he's going to need to go to a really, really strong developmental team to maximize his talent. And you can make a case and say there's nobody that has gotten more talent and more production out of lower ranked players than the Toronto Raptors. And yep. if I'm Jaden, Jaden McDaniels, almost said Jaden Smith. Wow. If I'm Jaden McDaniels, of course I want to go higher in a draft, but I'm, I would be hoping to go to a situation like Toronto because yep. he could be a big steal there. So in your opinion, why do you think Jaden McDaniels, his talent and his draft projection projection are so far off? Um, I don't think his brother did him any justice, <laughs> just to start with that. But yeah, he's he's super talented. Um University of Washington players in general, as of recent, have all kind of been not living up to par, not living up to their five-star talent. Um, but McDaniel specifically, um, he's just really skinny. And I think that in the NBA, I can't name a player besides KD that has come into the league, you know, really skinny. I mean, Giannis too. I and mean, we're talking about really specialized situations, really specific stuff. But Would I, you consider I just, Isaac, Jonathan Isaac? Yeah, but I was trying to think of more players that have more of an impact. You know, like Isaac, I, I guess he's been he's been an All-NBA defender, but his yeah. offense wasn't there. And I don't think McDaniels has the ability to be an All-NBA defender. I just don't think he has the motor. I don't think he's strong enough. Yeah. But well, um, I think he could be like a wing shot blocker, multi-positional defender. Like, just overall, if you just took his talent and packaged it up, I mean, so many things that he could be. It's just yeah. putting it together. Easier yeah, said I think, than done. I think like 
um, I guess someone we can project him to be, you know, in the next couple of years and maybe even better with Toronto, but at the very least, he's a very, he's a Swiss army knife. And whenever I say that word, cause my heat culture in me makes me think of James Johnson. So maybe an impact like James Johnson, he's a better athlete. He's more skilled than him. He's got much more potential to be someone much better than James Johnson. But I think that's safe. I think that's what you're going to get. And like we said, Toronto's got such a good development staff. Um, I think they'll develop into him a better player than that. Yeah, I mean, I think his biggest issue is his decision-making. I mean, of course, he shows flashes of being able to do everything. He shows flashes of being able to – well, he he can handle the ball. He shows that he can sometimes make passes that make you think, like, you know what, if he could fix his decision-making, then he could not necessarily be a primary ball handler, but someone that you can put in pick-and-rolls and that can make plays for others. He averaged over a block a game, if I'm not mistaken. Very good shot block. Yeah, I mean, it's just so much talent there. But, I mean, he may have had – and I, I don't want to, like, pound on the kid and just make it seem like, you know, just talk bad about him. But between him and Precious, they had the worst turnovers I've seen. Like, just head-scratching turnovers. Like, there was one play that I can think of. He was inbounding the ball on the baseline – and the the guy that was defending the inbound pass ended up getting a steal. Like it was like he didn't even see the man that was inches in front of him. And he just had so many like careless turnovers where it's like he has tunnel vision. Like he drives, he sees the man, he's not confident enough to like make the pass right there, but he locks in and it just leads to so many turnovers. And so I wonder, unless he accepts a role as – well, I, put like, I think he can, at the minimum, be like a, a floor spacer type. But he's so much more talented than that. But I don't think that he'll be able to maximize his talent and play like with the ball in his hands unless he improves as a decision maker and his shot selection and just his overall like motor. Like I think that he needs to – you know, just have, like, this dog in him. Like, I don't know if that can be taught, though. I mean, I think he's cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's 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 cool. Yeah. He's kind of laid back. Wow. You look at, like – and, I mean, KD is a bad comparison in a sense, but he's the only guy that I could compare him with as far as, like, body type and yep. how he moves and as a ball handler. And it just kind of makes you appreciate how – not only was KD a better shooter, but KD had this nastiness in him in college. He was a competitor. Yeah, he – I mean, he he might have averaged – I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know if he averaged like 10 rebounds a game, but he was – he was a dog. Like, he was, he put the team on his back. And yep. and I think, like, McDaniels is just – like I said, he's cool. You know, he'll yep. – he had the talent to average 20 a game, but he got like 13. And I agree with everything you said, but just going back on the turnovers, no one had worse turnovers than Ashton Hagens. He had <laughs> the ugliest turnovers in all of college basketball. <laughs> well, I should have said for the first round, for the first round picks, yeah. All right, the last pick is the Boston Celtics again. Yep. Um, Leandro Bomero, um, he's a stash guy, two-year stash right now, I think, right? He just signed a two-year extension. Yeah, he may have an out. Um, he may have an out. And I, I think either way, 
I'm not mistaken, because the season started so late and then they got uh, Sarunas Shashakevich as the coach. I think he wanted to stay in Barcelona anyway, which I've been to Barcelona, and that is not a bad place to live. <laughs> you know, like, all right, think about Miritich. He, he turned down a lot of money in the NBA to go play in Barcelona. And in my opinion, if, you know, if Barcelona was in the United States, it would be at the worst, the second best city in the country. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. So I believe it. I've never been there, but I believe oh, it. Oh man. It's, it's, it's great. So yeah. So for him, I understand why it would have made, it makes more sense to be in Barcelona because the city is a great place, but he'd get a chance to play for a legendary coach in Europe. Barcelona has a chance to win the EuroLeague and he'll get some game experience, which if he, you know, deal with like Abdi or, or Maladon is done, they're here in the States, they're working out and they don't know when their next game is going to be, you know? So right. I think for him, he, he, he probably made the best decision to, to actually get some live game experience and, you know, play against, you know, he'll be in a Euro league this year. Um, and, you know, play in the second best league in the world, get some minutes and get some experience there. And um, I think he'll be more prepared for the NBA draft um, or for the NBA when he comes yep. over to play, which is probably going to be 21, 22. Yep. And it's interesting with him just speaking on, you know, him deciding to play internationally. Um, Barcelona, I think that um, it's kind of interesting for the Celtics because they got so many picks and so many players that if there's any team that can afford to draft uh, Balmero, it's them because they don't necessarily need a player right now. Um, plus they got a um, Wanamaker and Semi, who are both, they're going to both probably bring back on small minimum contracts. So I don't know how many roster spots are really going to have available, but uh, Balmero, um, just an extremely crafty player. He's got a good field for the game, great court vision. Those things are all going to carry over. And I think that plus all the other reasons I said about him um, being a stash player for them and them not needing really someone right away, I think could prove to be a great value pick at a 30. Yeah, I had him going a little higher. I had him going to Utah, but that was before um, I, I knew what his plans were. And Utah may decide that they, they want someone that can come in and play now. Um, I had mentioned before, when I first saw Balmero play last summer, you know, I read about him as guys to watch out for, guys to, you know, check out. And I was not impressed at all when he played for Argentina. And, um, I mean, I saw, like, some flashes. I saw the size, you know, like the NBA positional size. I saw that he could handle the ball for a big wing and he can make plays. But for whatever reasons, man, he played better against grown men than he played with his age group. I kind of had written him off as a 20 – a 2020 NBA draft prospect because I didn't think that he was ready, but between how he played in on, on Barcelona this year and in the Euro league and in the ACB, he looked a lot better. I guess it, it showed more of his, um, I guess more of his skill set in a sense. He was a, a good defender against grown men. He still needs to improve his shooting like most players in this draft, but he's a, a good decision maker, active defender. And, um, once he becomes a better shooter, I think he's going to be really, really good in the NBA because he's such an active cutter. He moves so well off the ball. Yep. And that's going to open up a lot because he'll, you know, whether it's cutting to the basket or, or moving to get open 
and he just wasn't the threat, at least when I saw him in the, the junior levels, he wasn't the threat to come off pin downs and knock down that shot, even though he he got good looks because of his activity, but he just wasn't a consistent shooter. And I think eventually he'll he'll develop into that. And one of the things I like about players from Argentina is somehow they have like this flair to their game. Like they play with this yep. flash and flair, but it's like this fundamental flash and flair. And it's like from the junior levels all the way up to the the national team, like they have a, I mean, they just have a system there. And that Ginobili in them. Ginobili. I like Cam, Campazzo or Campuzzo. I can't remember how you pronounce his name, but I liked him a lot, especially watching him at the, at the World Cup last year. He's someone I think is probably going to play in the NBA soon. I, I feel like this whole pandemic situation, the season been ex- extended. Um, you know, it may have had an impact, but I, I definitely thought that he was going to be an NBA player starting the 2021 season. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on for part two. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, man, I just, I, I like talking basketball with you. And for the second straight episode, we went well over an hour. And I usually wanted to keep it within an hour, but this this has been great. So, Spencer, I thank you for, for coming on. We'll definitely be in touch. And do you have, um, you know, I, I know you mentioned it before. Um, if someone wants to see, like, your draft takes, where could they, they find you at? Yep, Twitter, uh, Spencer Weber 3 um, I don't. I don't really post a crazy amount of stuff. I'm working on a few projects now that have to do with uh, team evaluation and um, other stuff like that, video stuff. So keep an eye out for that. And then LinkedIn, I got my interactive basketball front office resource on there, um, and that's just Spencer Weber on there. All right, real quick, can you tell um, the people about that the resource? Because I actually saw it when it was posted, and then uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I ran into your your partner. We were at the same basketball camp this this uh, weekend, and I didn't realize it until I left. Yeah, me and him talk every day. Um, he told me, and I thought that was really cool. That's Zach Smith. He's discussing. Um, yeah, he was out there just scouting players, same thing as you, I guess. And he said he saw you on the baseline or something like that recording. So that's pretty cool. But um, interactive front office resources basically um something me and Zach wanted to create for um college kids high school kids really just anyone that loves basketball maybe wants to take it a little more serious and go to the next level um in there within the document is a ton of different resources bartorvik you know advanced stats video um adobe photoshop just tableau visualization stuff a bunch of different stuff to learn to get familiar with um to play with um, and their skills that are necessary to get to that next level and work in NBA front office and just NBA jobs in general. Oh, that's, that's a good resource. I wish I had something like that when I was trying to figure out what I needed to do. I knew I wanted to work in the NBA and, and in basketball. And I thought like, I know all this stuff. I, I, I know it, you know, the in and outs of the roster, but I didn't know, like, how can I say it? I didn't know what value that I could bring. And so it wasn't until later on I realized that you have to have like a niche or a value that you can bring, whether, you know, you're a video guy, you know how to break down video, or if you're, you know, good at advanced stats, you yeah. got your own module that you can use to show how different lineups work. Or if you're 
you know, the salary cap and the finances in and out. And I think for a lot of people that want to work in sports, the key is finding that niche. And for me, what really kind of changed everything for me was I figured out the video aspect of it, which is, yep. I mean, it's, it's more people doing it now, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of my niche, whether a, a player wanted a highlight tape, wanted some film cut up, whether it was, um, you know, the, the coaches wanted someone to film practices so they could see stuff. And that was just kind of the thing that changed it for me is just having a niche. And so, cause there's really not a, a guide if you think about it, not. you know, you just, you think like, Oh, I love sports. I love basketball. I know the rosters in and out. And then you just email your resume to a team. You're one hoping. of the <laughs> Yeah. And I actually, you know, when I worked in a G league, I ran an internship program and I used to see the, the emails and it was, I mean, it was a tremendous amount of emails and some of the people like sports, but they don't like love it, you know? Yep. And so I remember a kid I was trying to um, interview and he said he loved basketball and, and like, like for me, I'm a, I'm a diehard basketball fan. Like I could probably tell you what college every single NBA player went to. Right. Probably for the last 20 years combined you name a player I can tell you where they went to school at but you know there's a lot of people who just like basketball like if I say I don't know if I ask a guy a question like where did Steph Curry go to school and if you're like uh I don't know then I, that kind of makes me wonder like you're just a fan yep. you you yep. like it and, and that's a good point you said like uh the the interactive uh, resource we made PDF file. It's definitely not for the casual NBA fan. You guys will definitely get bored of it and lost of it. But you know, if, if you're serious and um and you really want to develop those technical skills and um just you gotta have projects, you gotta have um something to show an NBA team where you can add value. And if yep. you can't do that, you're you're in a stack with tens of thousands of other people trying to get the same job, saying they love and they know sports. Yeah, same thing with an agency. I mean like you can really do the same thing you would like to do for an NBA team with a sports agency. If you can prove that you can add value, then I think that uh, there, there'll be an opportunity for you, but it's, it's tough. It's, it's competitive, but it's hard to just be a fan that, you know, you think you're going to get a job out of it, but I can talk about this forever. So thanks again, Spencer, for coming on. Um, we'll definitely be in touch. I still want to do the second round. And yep, then, let's do it. Um, you know, once I, I get the I get all that situated, then um, we'll we'll definitely uh, come back on. So thanks again. This is Raphael Barlow with my guest Spencer Weber. This is part two of Spencer's. Uh, I guess this is combination of his big board mock draft. Once again, it's Raphael NBA Draft Junkies. Bye.